Hi friends, this is Pastor Brad. Thanks so much for joining us for this special edition of our podcast. This is a recording of our Bible study coming soon. For this study, we're going to be looking at at gaining a better understanding of end times prophecy and what the Bible says about the second coming of Jesus. It's a very prevalent topic right now, and we hope that these sessions will help you as you navigate this challenging topic. The sessions will be coming out every two weeks, so keep checking back for the next one. We hope you enjoy your listening. Please reach out if you have any questions or comments. God bless you. Thank you for coming to session two of our Bible study coming soon when we're, where we're exploring what the Bible has to say about end times. End times are always a popular discussion point in our lives because we don't really know. And as people were inclined to love a mystery and love a puzzle and to try and figure out how to solve the mystery and the puzzle of what all of this looks like. And so we try to figure it out. And last time we were together, if you were with us, I think everybody here was with us last time. But if you if you weren't, we, we talked about some people who had taken what we don't know. And tried to figure out the things that we cannot know. And we use that as a jumping off point to see how when we move through scripture and we look at these really hard places to try and understand what we say, how we should do that. Or I guess in light of what we looked at last time, how we shouldn't do that. Um, I don't want you to come up with planet X. Um, and so how do we avoid that? How do we keep away from those kinds of things? First, we, we, we avoid that by always reading scripture in context. The context of a verse is so important to understanding what that verse means. And so when someone quotes a verse or even some verses as a proof or a basis for something, we always need to, to look, go back and see if, if that's what really those verses are talking about, especially if, if those verses give us cause for concern or, or what they're saying makes us go, I don't know, that they're always good to go back and, and check. Well, if I was to say to you, like, like we talked about last time, if I was to say to you that uh, um, Psalm 13 tells us that there is no God, and if you were shaken by that and you think the Bible says there is no God, and then you go back and you look and you see a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Um, I remember, it was, and so whenever somebody, you know, somebody quotes a verse to you and it makes you go, hmm, or somebody says, I've discovered this new thing in the Bible. We need to read about this, you know, this new teaching, this new theology, this new point to be able to just file it away. And if we think, well, I better check that out to be able, one of the ways that we can avoid being led astray is to, to, you know, when somebody quotes a verse to go back and look at the verses before it, look at the verses after it and make sure that it says what they're telling you. It says that when you just pull a chunk of it, because even as we look at verses, you know, verses aren't even individual sentences. You know, that's, that's like the, 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 a verse can be a part of a sentence. And so even to pull a verse out of context sometimes is even to just not even pull out an entire sentence, but it's to pull out part of a sentence. And so when we hear somebody quote a verse or, or whatever, and especially if it's something that makes us go, I don't know if that's true, to just remember the reference and go home and crack open your Bible. And does that really say what, what they said it would say? Next, we, we avoid coming to crazy conclusions by, by making sure to start with what the Bible says. Like last time, no matter how many times you read the Bible, you will never come up with Planet X. Um, you can read it cover to cover a thousand times, and you will not come up with that. But if you start with an idea 
and then bring it to the Bible and just try to proof text using the Bible. Proof text is just a term for Bible study that means that you, you have an idea and you're just looking for the Bible to validate it. And you're not looking for what the Bible says. You're just looking for something inside the Bible that you could use to support an idea. Um, it's, you know, it's where people have, and people have done that with all kinds of things. Um, people have done that with slavery and people have done that with racism and people have done that with all kinds of, of different ideas, you know, cults and all kinds of things will bring an idea to the Bible and then scour the scriptures looking for something that they can use to point to that. And so it's important to always make sure that we start when we're doing Bible study, let's just start with what the Bible says. And lastly, we avoid it by me, well, we avoid coming to or, or accepting the, these wild propositions by, by making sure to use the Bible properly. Both of the people we talked about last time use the Bible to show their prophecies as true, but both of them use the Bible in a way that the Bible doesn't use the Bible. They found codes and math patterns as, as fulfillments of prophecy. But that kind of prophecy fulfillment we talked about last time doesn't show up in the Bible. Um, there's no point in the Bible where, where Matthew will tell us that because Abraham was X number of years old when he sacrificed Isaac, that, that you take that number and you divide it by the number of sons that Jacob had and all of these kinds, of, and then you get the number. That, that's not how the Bible never treats the Bible that way. And so we always need to be careful to use the Bible the way that we use the Bible. But the reality is this end time stuff is hard. Um, it's hard to understand. And so what I want to do to start off our time tonight is I want to give us seven reasons why all of this is so hard. Seven things that make end times discussions really, really difficult. And why we can spend so much time trying to figure it out, even though for 2,000 years, no one has had much success doing that. Um, we, we've had 2,000 years of people trying to figure it out. We've had 2,000 years of people being wrong. And yet we continually come back to this idea of maybe we can figure it out. So why is that? Well, first, the reason why we continue to go to do these things is we want to think that we're the last generation. Every generation that has existed since Jesus ascended into heaven believed they were the last generation. And for many of us, we're no different. Did you know that Martin Luther, the... the father of Protestantism, the, 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 20, the 97 thesis that he posted, break away from the Catholic Church, all of those, the, the, the father of, of not everything non-Catholic, um, he, during the Reformation, wrote and identified the Pope at the time as the Antichrist. That he was convinced that he was living in the last days, and he was convinced that the Pope of the Catholic Church at the time was the Antichrist, because he believed they were the last generation before Jesus had come back. They had rediscovered the gospel, they had rediscovered faith, they had rediscovered the truth of Christianity, and that was what was going to bring about end times. Um, if you read in scripture, Peter, Paul, and John all write in some form that their times were the last days. The end times, they will make a, a mention of now that we're living in the last days, now that we're living in the last times. Oh, sure. Uh, like the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle John. Um, in, in their writings, each one of them will make reference to 
now that we're in the last days or in these last days, you know, and so they, they believe that last time we were together, I talked about how we have two of the three pieces of the puzzle. We have what happened. We know that wasn't it. We have what's happening and we don't know that this isn't it, but we don't know what will happen. And that's the most important piece of the puzzle. So all we can try and do is squeeze whatever's happening into the puzzle pieces, because we have a tendency to think that we are the last generation. Now, we might be. It's possible that we are the last generation, that Jesus will come back in our lifetimes, but we also might not be. Number two, future prophecy is hard. It's difficult. It's complicated. Understanding what the Bible has to say about future prophecy and about the end times is really difficult. Did you know that the book of Revelation has more references to the Old Testament in it than any other book in the New Testament? That if you were to fully and completely understand what Revelation has to say, then you need to become deeply and intimately acquainted with Books like Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Ezekiel. Because the book of Revelation will reference those books. Now, it doesn't reference them in the sense of like, like it says in Ezekiel, but the, the images and verses and references all harken back to Old Testament books. And the Revelation harkens back to the Old Testament more than any other book in the New Testament. And the harder a subject gets, the more we tend to lean on someone else. When someone comes and tells us they have figured out something we, we haven't figured out, we can have a tendency to believe them because we don't always know enough to be able to say you're wrong. And so somebody comes and says, I figured this out. And we say, okay, because we don't know enough to be able to say, I don't think that's really that because they can come with all of these things. And, but my thought is this. As believers, it's better to just live in the not knowing of what future fulfillment of future prophecy looks like than to lean on someone else's opinion for these life-changing, difficult subjects. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I think one thing that's important is that we look for that lesson. Sure. That's right. Yeah, I don't. Can you hear that online? When somebody talks, can you hear that at all? No, we can't. Okay, perfect. We will address that. I've got a microphone right here. So we will make sure that you can hear what's being said. But we talked about the importance of the book of Revelation will start out saying that it, it's a blessing to us. And so it's not that we need to ignore the book of Revelation or somehow put it aside and say, this holds no value. But to recognize that, that while we can get a blessing from it, that it's, it's hard. Is, is it's a difficult book to understand. Because most often in scripture, Prophecy isn't fully understood until after it's been fulfilled. Um, it's, it's not often that the people saw something coming. And even more than that, it's not often they saw it right. 
um, we look at the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It is this amazing story of fulfilled prophecy. And even the people who were there saw this as fulfilled prophecy, that they knew that the Bible had prophesied that the king would return to Jerusalem riding on a donkey, that Zephaniah had told them this. And they saw it, but they completely missed it. That the fulfillment of prophecy was there right before their eyes, and they saw it happening. They just couldn't understand how it was happening, that the king was returning. But the king was not returning in the way they thought that he was returning. Number three, um, we forget all of the rules on how to do Bible study when it comes to the future, to the future prophecies. Like, for instance, we can all know and we can agree that Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. No argument. We, we would all say, yes, Jesus did say that was a command to me. That's a command to you. That's a command to all of us. But what we know is that we have to think about these things, interpret them, understand them thoughtfully and in context. In context, what did Jesus mean here? In Luke, when it says, take up your cross daily, does that mean every morning we have to pick up a chunk of wood and carry it around with us? know that we know and we can understand based on reading scripture and understanding that it's not a literal piece of wood that Jesus was talking about, but it's self-sacrificial love, following Jesus with their whole lives, dying to myself, my desires into this world. We take what scripture says and we unpack and understand it. But when it comes to, to future prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled, suddenly we don't need to be thoughtful anymore. And suddenly we, we, we can just use numerology and math and symbols and vagaries. And we can go and we can say, like in last time, God says seven days and I'll cause it to rain. And then a, a verse from Second Peter and boom, we've got it all figured out. But none of us would accept that kind of interpretation in any other field of Bible study. But that's because that's not how we interpret the Bible. That's not how we do Bible study. And so we can use that as a guide when someone interprets prophecy in a way that, that doesn't work in any other kind of Bible study. And we can move on from that interpretation pretty quickly. Number four, we can find fulfillment everywhere. Oh, there's wars. Oh, there's a pandemic. Oh, there's an earthquake. Oh, this just happened in Israel. Did you know the prime minister said this? Did you know the president signed that? And we can have a tendency to see fulfillment of scripture, but in a generalistic kind of way. Because right now we live in a time where our awareness of geopolitical things or catastrophic events or weather events, things like that, our awareness of all of these things is just more than it ever was before. Do you know you can download an app and it will tell you every time there's an earthquake on the world in the world. You know, a hundred years ago, we would have no idea. You, I couldn't know outside of a select few seismologists who compiled all of that information. No one could know that. Now, we all can have that kind of information at, at the touch of a button. I can just go home and ask Siri or Alexa or Google to tell me what the weather is right now in Mount Hermon on Israel. I can know to the second what the weather is like anywhere in the world that I want to know. That's a new thing. We couldn't do that before. 
So we have this flood of information. And when we allow general ideas to fulfill vague prophetic ideas, then we can find fulfillment in a general way everywhere we look. But instead, we should be looking for clear, specific fulfillments of clear, specific passages. Otherwise, we shouldn't really worry about it or get too caught up in it. Number five, um, seeming experts, or we can find seeming experts, seemingly very trustworthy. They can earn our trust because they sound so smart. They sound so wise that we don't, and sometimes we don't really understand what they're saying. You don't really know how to get where they're going, but you do know that you couldn't get there yourself. And so we think they must know more than I know, and they earn our trust. But the truth is, you're smart enough. Now, I'm not saying that there are things that we can't learn from each other or from teachers or from other people. But what I am saying is that when someone, anyone brings you anything and you say, I don't know how they did that with the Bible. I don't think I could do that. Be careful. If you don't see something in scripture for yourself, at least put it in a category in your mind going, that's interesting. I'll consider it. But since I don't understand it, I'm not absorbing it. Number six, we can be overwhelmed by things not in the Bible. People will highlight things like this all the time for you. That this particular formation of Jupiter and Venus and Orion's belt, it only happens once every 4,000 years. Or perhaps the last time this happened was when Jesus were, was born and we can make it out to mean something really powerful. But as rare as any individual of these occurrences can be, things like this are happening all the time. There's always some unique around the corner. Next month, something will happen in the sky that hasn't happened in thousands of years. And then something else equally as rare will take place. Do you remember the blood moons? And how much everybody got panicked because they were taking place at the same time as the feasts of Israel and assigning all kinds of meaning and significance because there's a blood moon and it's falling on the same day as this sacrifice. And there was all of these, these things that were taking place. And then nothing happened. That those kinds of things are happening all. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yep. I think that we don't know. Um, I think to, to assign too much meaning to something that we don't know is what's dangerous. Is that, you know, every time there's something significant, it could be something. But to, to say, oh, because there's going to be a blood moon on the same day as the sea, that must mean this is where, but because there's always something happening. And so, so we can see these things and they can fill us with hope and they can, but to, to take too much stock in that is where, where the concern is. The Bible does talk about signs in the heavens, but we need to be careful in trying to find a sign 
before we found the sign. That is, we try to ascribe meaning to everything, it becomes difficult to find meaning in anything. The last thing that can cause us to stumble when it comes to understanding prophecy and future prophecy and interpreting the Bible and all of these things is we want it. We want it because it's real. We know that Jesus is coming back and we want to return to him. That's the closing pages of your Bible is, is the apostle John saying, even so come quickly, Lord. So when someone comes and gives us some insight into to what and when this could be, there's part of us that that's really wants that, that gets us interested. Now, that doesn't make it biblical and that doesn't make it true. And because we want it, we may start making some of these mistakes that we've talked about. And so our desire for it, or, or at least our desire to try and understand is actually something that complicates it for us because we want to see it. We want that. And yet it can cause us to see things that aren't, aren't really there. I remember years and years ago when I, long years ago now, when I was in high school um, and we were on a, a camping retreat um, with the school that I was in and we were staying up late and we were freaking ourselves out. And it was the middle of the night. We were out in the woods and it was like on a dare, it was, would you dare go stand outside the cabin for one minute? And some of the guys couldn't do it. They would go outside and about 20 seconds in, they were banging on the door. Let me in, let me in, let me in. Because we had convinced ourselves that wolves were going to eat us or that there was ax murder. I don't even remember what it was, but it was like we had convinced because we had talked about it and ruminated on it and thought about it. It started to become more and more and more real to the point where we were perfectly safe, but it was like, can you last one minute? And that not that same thing, but that kind of thing can happen to us. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to move from these case studies of other people, what David Mead did five years ago or whatever, and move it more into the realm of how we can see these things happening in our world today. And some of the things that we or people around us can be guilty of doing the same kind of things we talked about last week, obviously not as extreme as Planet X. But seeing the things that are happening and using that to understand end times. So these are the things that make this so hard. That's why we talked about why we, or what, that's why the things we talked about last week are so important. But now I want to take it to that third case study. Last time I said we were going to do three case studies. We were going to look at David Mead. We're going to look at Harold Camping. And then we were going to look at us. And so what we're going to do now is, is we're going to take a look at us and some of the things that perhaps we've been told or we've believed or internalized and said, these are some signs of the end times and really flush out and use some of the skills that we talked about a minute ago about understanding a passage in context, not bringing anything externally to the passage and seeing what it has to say. Because if we're open and honest, we would need to admit that there's probably some places where our theology or surrounding end times is, is maybe not perfect. 
That, that some of our, our, our ideas are built on assumptions and built on our best understanding, but maybe not built entirely on things that are all the way true. And actually, if we have enough time in these sessions, not in this session, but in our sessions collectively, I'm going to talk to you about the six different ways that Christians view something as basic as the second coming of Jesus. That even the second coming of Jesus that we all agree is going to happen, there's six different ways that Christians view how that's going to take place. And you have subscribed to one of them. If I had to take a guess, I would guess probably most of us are premillennial. But are you a premillennial dispensationalist? Or are you a premillennial progressive dispensationalist? You might not even know, um, but, but all that to say that even in our, in our understanding of these things, there, there's lines all over the place because we just don't know. So what I'm going to ask you to do is if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles tonight, um, we are going to be in Mark chapter 13. Uh, Mark chapter 13 is where we're going to be tonight. That's actually our text for next time we're together as well. As we look to see what Jesus has to say about what his second coming will and won't look like. And what we're going to talk about tonight are a couple of things that many of us may understand to be signs of his second coming. But actually in the context of what Jesus had to say, we're going to discover that maybe that's not entirely what Jesus said. Now I want to warn you as we come to this. Because depending on the teaching that you received over the years, the teaching that you've received growing up, the teaching that you may have rested in, some of this might ruffle you a little. Because what I'm going to share with you may go against some things you have heard. And if it has, and if you are thinking, I don't know that Brad's right about this, go home and check it out for yourself in even greater detail than what we're going to do tonight. But come with me. And let's see together. So I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you 13 verses from the book of Mark, chapter 13. No, I'm going to read to you about eight verses, then we'll go back and do 13. But as we're doing this, I need you to do something with me. I don't want you to follow along the first time we go through it. You can turn there because we're going to go through it again right away. Because what I want you to do is I want you just to listen to what I have to say the verses I'm going to read to you. And as I'm reading them to you, I want you to, to listen and see if these sentences, if you already have a context in your mind of what these verses are talking about. And if you do, what that context is. If as I'm reading this, you say, oh, I know this part. I know what this is talking about. So let's start reading in verse five. It says, and Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but this is not the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. 
And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you're to say, but say whatever's given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And, and brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So I want to ask you this. Of the verses we just read, what in there was a sign of the second coming? Or maybe a safer way to ask that question in the context of everything we've talked about leading to this passage is, is there anything in there that you've understood that may be a sign of the second coming? Have you ever heard people talk about wars and rumors of wars? That that would be a sign that Jesus was coming back. Brother will turn against brother. Earthquakes, famines. In Luke, it'll talk about pestilence. Have you, have you heard people make reference to those kinds of things in terms of the second coming of Jesus? I'm sure that, it, that in your context... Um, in your life, these verses, you've heard about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes, nations against nations, brothers against brothers, famine. All of these things as signs of the second coming of Jesus. That's why when we have a pandemic and then immediately Russia goes to war with the Ukraine, we, there, there's pandemics, there, there, are, there are famines, there are pestilences, there's wars and rumors of wars, that, that we, we hear these things. But when you read these verses in context, and we look at them without someone having told us that these are the signs, the opposite of that is actually true. Jesus doesn't say these are the signs. Jesus just says these are things that will happen, and they don't mean the end is here. So if that's the tradition that you grew up in, if that's what you've come to understand, the understanding you had, as I did, I think that as a Christian culture, at times, we've taken these verses out of context and, and we've misused them. Because when we read these verses in context, we see the opposite of that to be true. All of the things that Jesus talks about here, he says they're not signs. These are the things not to look for in his coming. Jesus is not giving us a way to predict his coming based on world events, at least not in these verses. And the verses after this that we'll look at later on, starting at verse 14, that'll be where we'll pick up for our next session. We'll see what Jesus has to say about what are the signs, but these verses are a list of things that are not the signs. So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack these verses a little bit, because maybe you're still thinking, nope. I've heard my whole life these are the signs, and you can't undo that in three minutes. Fair enough. So we're going to unpack these verses, do some real Bible study on them, and see what we can understand, or maybe see some of the things that we've failed to understand about these passages. So our passage, our story actually begins in verse 1 of Mark 13, as Jesus and his disciples are leaving, his, his, they're leaving the temple. One of the disciples simply remarks to Jesus, look at how wonderful these buildings are. Look at how great the temple is. Isn't this building amazing? He's being a tour guide. I mean, if you go to, to Jerusalem and you take a tour inside the temple, that's what um, the building was amazing. The building was incredible. And there's just this comment that his disciple makes about how great the temple is. 
And Jesus then comments off of his comment, making a comment about the temple. And he says, do you not, or do you see these great buildings? There will not be one left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus takes this comment about the beauty of the temple and begins to talk about the destruction of the temple, begins to speak in future prophecy. And so in verse 3, our story continues in verse 3, as Jesus and his disciples, they've traveled from the temple to the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives, it's not a mount like we would understand a mountain. That if, we were to, if you were to go to Israel and see the Mount of Olives, you would go, oh. So, so when you think about a mount, don't think the mountains we all know. When you think about a mount, don't even think Nose Hill. You know, the hill kind of by Eastlake. It's not a big hill. It's not a mountain. But from the side, when you sit on the Mount of Olives, you look down over what's called the Valley Kidron, and you'll read about that in some of the Gospels. But it's just kind of the bottom of the, the Mount of Olives goes down. There's a little river at the bottom, and then it goes back up to the city of Jerusalem. And from the Mount of Olives, you can overlook and see the temple. And so Jesus and his disciples are sitting on the Mount of Olives. And, and it says that Peter, James, and John, they begin to ask him some more questions about this thing that Jesus said about how the temple's going to be destroyed. And as often, what happens is Jesus answers a question with an answer far bigger than the question that was asked him. That when Jesus was asked, who is my neighbor? He gives a very big answer, a bigger answer than maybe the person who asked the question thought they were going to get. And so Jesus answers this question in a very, very big, big way. So Jesus begins his answer, begins his discourse in verse 7. In verse 4, they say, tell us when these things will be and what will be a sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. In verse 5, Jesus will begin by saying, Jesus will say to them, see that no one leads you astray. So the question is, when are all these things going to take place? And Jesus begins by not answering that question. He begins by giving them a warning, saying, don't, before I tell you anything, make sure that nobody leads you astray. His first thing on his mind for us when it comes to understanding end times is that in trying to understand all of this, it's going to be easy for us to be led astray. So even as we begin to talk about this, as Jesus tells his disciples, this is going to, to be confusing. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be a place where you're going to be able to be led astray. Don't let people mislead you. You need to be on alert when talking to people about the second, become, or second coming, because this is an area where we're going to be misled if we're not careful. This is a warning against people pointing to these kinds of things and saying, this means Jesus is coming back. Why does Jesus begin this way? Because he's our creator and he knows that his creation is going to become essentially addicted to trying to figure out his second coming. And then he begins by talking about the worst kind of misleading that can go on. False messiahs, false prophets, false Jesuses. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. I'm sure that, that even off the top of your head, you can think of different religions or, or different false preachers, false messiahs that have come saying, I'm Jesus. 
And of course it, it wasn't him, but basically Jesus is, is saying, if someone says I am coming, I am the coming of Christ. That's how you know they're not them. But if somebody says to you, I am the second coming of Jesus. That's all you need to know to know that they're not them. We'll talk about this in a later session next time. But Jesus does say, or, but Jesus does say that when he comes back for the second coming, we will all know. We talked about this last time. He compares it to a flash of lightning that will go all the way from the east to the west. It will be something that will not be able to be missed. We talked about last time, I think. I don't know if I said this or not, um, but um, I heard it compared to a nuclear bomb going off in your front yard. If someone comes and tells you, hey, a nuclear bomb went off in your front yard, don't believe them. Because if a nuclear bomb went off in your front yard, you would know. You would probably know before they knew. And so Jesus is saying, if somebody comes to you and says, I am the second coming of Jesus, did you know? If you don't know, it's not him. And so then this, this gets us to verse 7. And here we go. Probably the verse, starting to get into the verses where, where you would have heard people say, these are the signs of end times. These are the things we need to be looking out for. Verse 7. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, but we leave out some of these chunks of scripture. Do not be alarmed. Do not be frightened. This must take place. But the end is not yet. So I don't know if you've heard people talk about wars and rumors of wars and things like that. I know I certainly have. You may need to read that in a couple of different versions or translations because we're so often told that these are the signs of the ends. But, but Jesus' actual words are this is not the end. Wars and rumors of wars are going to happen. But they're not the end. Now let's look at verse 8. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. Now some people will point to the last part of that verse and say, see, this is the beginning. The birth Pangs are the beginning of labor, meaning the baby is coming. These are the signs. The, the birth pangs are a sign. So even if verse 7 isn't the signs, verse 8 is. But if we do a little deeper digging, a little deeper understanding into Scripture, we will see that this isn't exactly how we're supposed to understand the birth pangs. That this has nothing to do with any kind of future prophecy, soon fulfillment. See, one of the best things we can do, and this is another principle of Bible study, as we're exploring all of this, really, as we talk about how to understand end times, um, we're talking about how to study the Bible. That, that, that's the fundamental thing that we're doing here. And one of the things that we can do to try and understand the meaning of a verse or a phrase inside of a verse is to look in scripture to see if that phrase is used in the same kind of context somewhere else in scripture. It's not necessarily helpful to just look to see if that phrase was used somewhere else. That if we look for the phrase birth pains in the Bible, you may get all kinds of different results. 
that, you know, it may talk about somebody who is actually in labor and, and, and begin to unpack and you find all of these different uses of a term. But if we can find another term where that phrasing is used in the same kind of context, what's the context that we're talking about here? We're talking about the earth, right? The, 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 there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. But these are the beginnings of the birth pain. So as, as we talk about the earth seemingly having these birth pains, is there another place in scripture that we can go to to see if that can give us some more insight into how to understand that phrase? Does this mean that, that, that time is in labor and that it's almost time for the second coming? And in this case, we can do that. There's another passage in scripture that will talk about the earth having birth pains. The same phrasing. It's in the book of Romans. Now you may say this is Jesus speaking and Romans is written by Paul. Do these things really have anything to do with each other? How can Paul and Jesus, just because they use the same phrase, does that matter? And what I would say to you is that God was speaking through Jesus or God is Jesus, you know, Trinity things that, you know, God is speaking through Jesus as Jesus. He is Jesus. Jesus is God. And it was the same God who's also speaking through Paul. So while Paul may not say, hey, in, in Mark 13, when Jesus said this, what that means is Paul doesn't say that, but God is behind all of it, so we can learn from everything that Paul says. And so Jesus is, is talking about these birth pains coming from creation, the physical world having these pains. Jesus will talk about earthquakes and famines and things like that. And Paul will talk about creation and birth pains in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 20, 21, and 22, Paul will write this. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Has the creation itself, or hat, or it's supposed to say that, I copied and pasted wrong, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul here talks about how all of creation has been subjected to futility because of sin, because, of no, because nothing can be what it was created to be, even creation, because of sin. The creation is, 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 what, I don't remember the word. Oh, I guess I got it in front of me here. The creation is subjected to futility. It can't be what it's created to be. Sin's mark is so deep that it's not just that it colors us, it colors the entire world and all of creation. And that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That is, we evangelize and, and the world becomes God's and, and not the world becomes God's like plural. The world becomes God's like possessive as, as the world becomes 
more in God's image, because people are becoming more in God's image, as we become children of God, we are then, our creation is set free from the, the, from the mark of sin on it. And then it says that creation has been desiring this. It will say that creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That from the time when creation was corrupted by sin until now, it's been groaning in the pains of childbirth. Paul here is talking about how all of creation has been subjected to futility because of sin, because nothing can be what it was created to be, even nature, because of sin. And the creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth from then until now. But he describes it as been having, or having been happening from creation until now. So these birth pains are not necessarily about something that is on the horizon, something that's coming right away. But these birth pains have all been a part of creation since sin entered the world. So when Jesus mentions these birth pains in, in Mark chapter 13, that doesn't mean that these are specifically an indicator of something that's coming, something that's on its way that they're, they're not necessarily pains associated with waiting for the baby to come. The baby may be coming, the, the second coming is coming, but these birth pains are a picture of the fact that the baby isn't here. More so than that his arrival is imminent. Now, the next couple of verses, Jesus actually does get into future prophecy. He does start to describe to the disciples what the future is going to hold. So Jesus begins by saying to his disciples, before we move on, I just want to do a quick recap. Jesus begins by saying to his disciples, don't be fooled. Don't be led astray. Be careful. As we talk about these things, it's going to get confusing. It's going to get weird. And it's going to be easy to be led astray. And he says, don't listen to anybody who tells you they're me. They're not me. If they have to tell you they're me, they're not me. And then he says, and now don't be concerned. Don't get wrapped up in the things that are going on around you. If there's wars, if there's earthquakes, if there's famines, if there's tension inside the world, don't get caught up in all of that. This is expected. This is what's going to come. This is the result of a sinful, fallen, broken world. But the next couple of verses, verse 9, Jesus begins to unpack for four the disciple. Now, this is what the future, the immediate future is going to hold for you. This is, this is what you need to know about the future. He says, but be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. So, so there is a time marker that we need to understand. And when, you are, and when they bring you to trial and, and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So over these verses, Jesus is actually dispelling a vision of what they think the future holds. See, over and over again, one of the th themes that we discover inside the New Testament as we read through Jesus and his interactions with the disciples is that his disciple, his closest disciples and those following Jesus understood him to be establishing an earthly kingdom where he would rule. Um, in Acts chapter 1, we see that question posed by his disciples to Jesus. Jesus has died on the cross and he's risen from the dead and his disciples come to him and say, 
So now, are you gonna overthrow Rome? Like, is is now now is now now that you've shown that you're somebody's is now the time? The disciples are convinced. The people around them, everybody in in Jewish culture at the time believed that the messianic fulfillment of the prophecy of the son of David who would come would be for literal earthly kingship and freedom. See, they understood the prophecy like we talked about. They just couldn't see the fulfillment. But Jesus is telling them, this is not how that's going to go. You're, you're, you are going to go two things. You're, you're going to do two things from here. You're going to share the gospel and you're going to suffer for it. This is what the future holds for you. There isn't a utopian kingdom coming soon. And since the time of Jesus in times and places all around the world, to this day, Christians have preached the gospel and they've suffered for it. That from the time of Jesus up until today, the followers of Jesus have preached the gospel and followers of Jesus have suffered for it. Christians have been persecuted. The last couple of verses continue on this theme, helping them to understand that this utopia that they're expecting isn't really what's coming. When he says, and brother will turn against brother, or, and brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his ch child, and the children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, for the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is telling them they're going to experience wars, natural disasters, difficulties, and persecution, and even betrayal of loved ones from loved ones for the gospel. Not because of end times, but because of the gospel. Preaching the gospel will come at a cost. Jesus begins his dissertation on how we're to understand end times by letting the disciples know, look, these are the things that the future is going to hold for you. And as you walk through these things, don't get confused by these things thinking, surely this must be it. But it ends with this idea, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this is what tells us that all of these things they're not happening at the end. These are the things that are going to happen on our way to the end. These are the things that Jesus says, this is not the end yet. These are the things that are going to happen on our way till the end. Jesus answers the first question. What are the signs going to be like? First, by saying, this is what life is going to look like between now and the end. And you're going to be tempted as you go through this journey and that all of this is going to look like with all of these things to hear people say, this must be it. Look at how bad this is. Surely Jesus is coming back. Look at what, can you believe the things that are going on? Surely this means Jesus is coming back. But Jesus says, but these are the kind of things not to look for. These are not the signs. But then we come to verse 14. And verse 14 begins with that all important word, but. And then Jesus actually begins to answer the question. He begins to talk about what the second coming will look like. 
But if you look at your watch, you look at time, we're not gonna start that tonight. But I wanted to highlight this for one main reason. We can read the story of someone like David Mead or Harold Camping that we talked about last time and think, wow, who would follow that? The Bible doesn't say that, that's crazy. But so many of us, if we were asked, what are the signs of end times? Would have said wars and rumors of wars, famine, pandemics. And in Luke's account of this, Jesus will say famines and pestilences. What's a pestilence? Well, it's a pandemic. It can be a pandemic. And as we've walked through a pandemic, we will say, well, the Bible says wars and rumors of wars and all of these things. But for many of us, some of the things that we, we know about something like the end times, we may not know as well as we'd like to. The hardest thing for us is not to see where other people have it wrong, but to see where potentially we might have it wrong. So we need to remain humble enough to say that, that as much as we think we have it figured out, we don't have it figured out. We need to be cautious and careful. When we come to the reading of scripture, we talked about it last time. Sometimes we come with our preconceptions, our preconceived ideas. This is what the Bible says. And at the beginning of all of this, you know, I made reference to when I was talking about the reason why this gets so confusing. And I said, we can find fulfillment everywhere. I said, oh, there's wars. There's a pandemic. There's an earthquake. Oh, you know, and we didn't balk at that. Not that you should have, you know, necessarily said, that's not what the Bible says. But we accept those things as, as a true part of what scripture says about what end time. And it does talk about wars in Revelation. But what we see from Jesus here is that it's not just a war. The things that we read about in Revelation are, are going to be on a much grander cataclysmic scale than what we just think of when we think of war. And so this draws us to the end of our time tonight. And after two sessions and around two hours of this, you may be starting to ask yourself, what exactly have we done here? I don't really know anything more about the, what, what the Bible has to say about end times than when we started. This isn't what I signed up for. But what we're doing here is making sure that we have the groundwork laid to have a really productive look at what the Bible does say. So that I, as I begin to unpack it, or perhaps from here, you go home and read a book about it, or listen to a, a podcast about it, or watch a YouTube video about it, because I'm just not moving quick enough for you, and you want to get to the meat of all of this, so let me find someone who will do this faster, that you will be able to have the tools to help navigate this most challenging part of our theology. And that leads me to the last point that we're going to talk about tonight. Next time, we will change our focus from what not to look for to what to look for. That's what Jesus does. Verse 14 begins with but. Then he talks about this, this thing called the abomination of desolation. And we're going to try and figure out what that means. We're going to look at the context and all of these, and we're going to begin to unpack it. The last point that I want to make is that we need to be careful to not lose the actual point of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus isn't, here's when I'm coming, 
or even hear some clues to figure it out. But the real message is be ready all the time because the second coming is happening. This world is temporary, but what is permanent is on its way. So let's live our lives for what is eternal. Don't get so caught up in what could be that we forget what we are here now for. In the verses we read, Jesus say this. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. We need to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the world around us. Because friends, Jesus is coming back. I know there's gonna be some brighter days. I swear that love will Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go.
there's gonna be some brighter day.